Guys, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 4, 43 through 54. So over the last two weeks, uh, we took a look at the, at the portion of Scripture right before this where Jesus is conversing with the Samaritan woman at the well, where he spoke straight to her heart about what was going on in her life. And in return, both her and her town end up believing in Jesus. And one of the things that this story proves is that that Jesus is the giver of spiritual life, the giver of eternal life. Um, But today we're going to see that Jesus is also the giver of physical life. And that these two stories are two halves of a whole. And so we're going to be able to see that, that bigger point come together. Uh, but before we get into God's word today, will you pray with me? Uh, Lord God we, God, we just thank you for this morning, God, that we get another opportunity to lift you up, Jesus. God, not to lift up the name of any church, but God, to lift up your mighty name above everything else. And so God, we just pray For those in our community who are not able to be here with us today, God, keep them safe. Lord, continue to protect all of us uh, from this virus. But Lord, Lord God, we just ask that you be glorified. God, be glorified through all this, that this is not out of your control, that you still have a plan and a purpose. And so, Lord God, as I speak, just let my words be your words today, uh, that you might be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's turn to John 4, uh, 43 through 54, and it says this. After two days, he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And so what we see is that in this first verse, uh, Jesus leaves Samaria and heads for this region called Galilee, where he's going to set up camp at a town called Cana. And we have a map that we're going to put up here. Uh, Just to give us some context, Cana is just north of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. And that's why he says in verse 44, he says that a prophet has no honor in his hometown And so Jesus decides not to stay there, but instead just travels right through and makes camp at Cana. And I want to encourage you today that maybe in your own house, you're getting flack for uh, the way you serve God or what God has planned for your life. But can I tell you something this morning that you are in good company, that you are in good company today because even Jesus's friends and family could not recognize what the Father had planned for him. But next it says, 
that he was welcome in the region of Galilee because of the miracles that Jesus had done during the feast in Jerusalem. So these were the ones that were recorded just a couple chapters back. But all the Jews would have been present for these feasts. Uh, These were the feasts over the Passover season. And because of the signs that he, uh, because of the signs that he was doing, they began to recognize that there's something special about this Jesus guy. Next, we see another inter- in individual introduced. It's the official from Capernaum. Now, we really don't have a whole lot of context about him, other than the fact that he's from Capernaum, and that his son is deathly ill. But as we do a little bit more research, as we try to understand, you know, what is the role of officials? Why are they there? This is what we do know, is that officials were associated with royalty. So this was either by being related to a king or being placed in the king's home by the Roman government. So in conclusion of that, like, the official is of high status in society. So it begs the question, how does the official know about Jesus? You see, Jesus had actually made camp in Capernaum previously, and And throughout the Gospels, this is the place that Jesus will stay and make camp more than any other place all throughout. And during his time there, he was in their synagogues, both receiving the word of God, kind of like what we're doing today, but he was also there teaching as well. And in Capernaum is also where he meets five of his 12 disciples, James, John, Peter, Andrew, and Matthew. So therefore, this official would not have only have heard of Jesus' ministry, but he would have also have seen and heard of people being healed in the presence of Jesus. One of the things that comes alive to me um, as, as I read this portion of Scripture was the father's desperation and anxiety for his son. That he's not just an official, he's a father as well. And he was in such anguish over his son that he didn't send his servants to go get Jesus, but rather he rode by himself. And because of his authority, he could, have, he could have sent people on his behalf, but instead he decided to go by himself. So he rushes through a day's journey just to plea with Jesus. Now, to put it in perspective, he rode the distance of about from Stephen City to Clearbrook. But if we were to put it into a time frame, it was actually like us leaving church today and driving to Florida. Yes. <laughs> I heard that oof. Yes. It was, it was a very long journey. But he does all this just to beg Jesus to travel back and to heal his son. Today, can you imagine the desperation of a father who's exhausted every resource to get help for his dying child? I think that if we could imagine ourselves in his shoes today then we'll begin to get a better understanding of what is actually going on. We'll be able to kind of feel the moment. We'll be able to to see what was going on in the life of this official. And the author of John here is trying to illustrate uh, two things which I believe we're to learn today. And the first is what we believe matters. And the second is the purpose for miracles. So let's hit on that first one. Number one is belief. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where if God didn't show up, then you were out of options. I imagine that probably all of us in this room at some point in time either have or will have that happen, but uh, maybe it was that loved one who, if God doesn't heal them, will likely pass. Or maybe it's those bills that keep piling up faster than the money can come in, or 
Maybe it's that dream that you have, the one that God placed in your heart that you feel like you have to keep breathing life back into because no matter what you're doing, it feels like it keeps dying. Has anyone been there today? So what do we do? What is our response when, when life hits us below the belt? Our response should be similar to that of the official. We see the official running to Jesus. And just in reflecting over this, one of the things I realize is that pain and anxiety are some of the greatest equalizers in life. Just because this man has great authority over a region doesn't mean that he and his family are exempt from all the trials of life. So what we end up witnessing is a man of high status being made low by his child's illness. And if his son is not healed, then everything is going to change. Verse 47 says, When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So the man brings his fear, he brings his anxiety, and says, Jesus, I can't handle this. I've, I've tried everything, and nothing is working. I have seen the works of your hands before. If you will just come down, if you will come back with me, I know that you can and that you will heal my son. The man believed that Jesus could and would heal him. When we come upon these trials in life, Church, we need to pursue Jesus. I believe that the temptation is for us to not seek the Lord when tragedy hits, but isn't it funny how we seek out every other option and we leave God as a last resort? I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of this as well. We need to quit treating God like he is an option and realize that he is the solution today. And sometimes, instead of running to God, what we find is that we play the blame game. So instead of running to God, we're going to actually blame God for everything that happens. And maybe you've gone down this path before, and it's, it maybe it sounded something like this. Um, if, God, if you loved me, then you would have never have let that happen to me. Or maybe it was this one, or God, if you are even real, then this would never have happened I've heard so many stories of people walking away from faith because something bad happens in their life. But can I tell you today that those experiences, the pain that you felt, and the impact that it had on your life is valid. But if you were blaming God this morning, you were blaming the wrong person. Because this is what the Bible tells us, is that God does not inflict tragedy on his children, and yet he doesn't come to bring us harm And he doesn't tempt us either, but rather that is the enemy. And the Bible says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if this morning, if you're blaming God, you're doing the devil a favor because you are giving God the blame for what the devil's doing in your life. But this is what Peter, who witnessed Jesus' miracles, later writes in one of his letters. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your what? Anxiety on him Because he cares for you. Do you believe that today? That God not only knows about your troubles, but that he cares about them as well. And your answer to that question is going to determine a lot of how you interact and what you believe about God this morning. And that leads us to our second point. 
What is the purpose for miracles? Why do we see signs and wonders? And it's, it's twofold. It's they point people to Jesus and they prove that God can be trusted. They point people to Jesus and they prove that God can be trusted. It's interesting here that Jesus in verse 48 says this. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So let's get this right, Jesus. Are you saying that if we don't see you perform signs and wonders, if we don't see miracles happen right before you, then we can't believe in you? I don't believe that this is what it's saying. No, what I do believe is happening is Jesus uses the word you, which is plural here. He's talking to both the official and also the Galileans who would have been standing around at this point. So Jesus is addressing the crowd standing around to see if Jesus is going to perform another miracle by helping this father in desperation. Because this is what you've got to understand. They've already seen Jesus do miracles. You remember? They welcomed him because they saw the miracles that he had done in Jerusalem. And so what Jesus is getting at is, are you guys waiting around for me to prove myself once again? Do I have to do another miracle here for you to believe that I am sent of God? And so that's what he's, he's addressing here. And so, yes, the miraculous that Jesus does gives people an opportunity to see the power of God and know that he's sent of God to do God's work, but it wasn't everything. That God wanted more than just for them to have to see signs, but he wanted their faith and he wanted them to believe. But, they, but their posture was, well, if you really are the Christ, then you'll continue to keep doing these things. Or if you are really sent of God, then why don't you go do that miracle? And so after Jesus confronts the people, I love that the official urges Jesus again to come with him. But Jesus' response to him without the context actually seems a little off kilter. He simply says, go, your son will live. Now I've read over this verse several times. And I don't know about you, but every time I read it, it almost feels like Jesus doesn't have time for this man. Has anyone else read it like that too? Where it's, it seems like maybe Jesus is aggravated or um, he, Jesus is just ready to move on. Maybe he was hungry that day, I don't know. But, um, but when we look at it uh, in the, its deeper context, Jesus is actually using a term of compassion here. This address where he uses the word go isn't just like, hey, go. It's actually something that was tender and kind-hearted. And it was an appropriate response um, to, to him. And so if we were to kind of like translate it back, this is what it would sound more like. Like, hey, I see your son is, I see what's going on with your son. I will heal him. Now go home and see. That would have been, that would be what, how Jesus would have approached that. And so his kind-hearted response was to give the man assurance and peace that what he has asked for would be done. And in this instance, the official has traveled a good distance to bring Jesus back to his house. You know, he's seen Jesus do miracles, which is why he needed, he knew he needed to go find Jesus. But he believed that Jesus could only do healings through physical touch, that he needed to be physically present there. But after coming face to face with Jesus, he then begins to believe differently. He begins to realize that even the words of Jesus have power. Do you have enough faith today 
to take God at his word. Let that one sit for a second. (laughs) Or is your perception of God only as big as what you have currently experienced? I got one more for you. What if first God responds in a way that did not match up with your plan? Will you have enough faith to move forward anyways and still believe in him? The official could have commanded Jesus to come with him, and likely he had every right to. But I love that he didn't need Jesus to do it his way in order to believe. Man, to have faith like that this morning, church. But can I see any hands? Do I have any fellow control freaks? All right. I am a self-proclaimed control freak. But, um, but Claire and I, when we were... When we first got married, we couldn't afford TV or anything like that. So a friend had gifted us this box set of this, uh, this show called Gilmore Girls. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But there's this one quote in there by one of the characters named Lorelai that I love. And it's so fitting. It says, I can be flexible as long as everything is exactly the way I want it. I am totally flexible. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> How many of you can relate to that, though? But I wonder how many times we miss the miraculous in our lives because something didn't go the way we planned it. And can I be honest? Many times that's me. I I get caught up. If you know me and you've done any kind of events with me or anything else, I can get so caught up in the details and I can stress all the little things that I end up losing sight of what God is doing in the moment. And it won't be too much later that I begin connecting all the dots and be like, oh yeah, God, that that thing that happened, that was a connecting dot to this dot that opened up this opportunity later. Or, um, you know, God, I thought that I was in this season alone. Little did I know that you had a plan and you were placing all these people around me so that I didn't have to go through these trials by myself. So often, we miss God in all the little details because we need God to follow our plans. Here's my suggestion for us this morning. How about we write our plans down in pencil so that God can go back later and erase them? Verse 50 says this, the man believed that the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So the official had to trust Jesus' word as he made that long trek back home. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what that ride back home would have been like? Just believing, you know what? I have no proof that my son is healed. I just have to hope, I have to pray that when I get back, I'm going to get a good report. But before leaving Jesus, he did not have that kind of confirmation. But he just simply had to trust and had to believe And verse 51 says this, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. So on his way back, His servants come to meet him and let him know that his son was getting better. But they were actually seeking him out 
to let him know, to catch him on before he caught up with Jesus, to say, hey, oh, by the way, your son is better. You don't have to seek out this Jesus guy anymore because guess what? He's good. The fever's left. We can celebrate. But the official realizes what has happened and confirms that the time that Jesus spoke was the same time that the son was made well. There are people in your life that will see the evidence of God, that will see the miracle that God is doing in you, and they're going to wonder what happened. Can I tell you today that as as we receive the miracles of God, it is your job to tell of the author of the miracle. Because I think that there's so many times in our lives, God does something amazing. He does something great. And people are like, oh man, I'm so glad that that thing planned out for you. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, you, you got better? Amen. Like, awesome. But how often do we fail to give God glory for what he's done? And we wonder why people don't believe that God still does miracles. But maybe, just maybe, if we begin to just continue to tell them of the author of the miracle, they will believe and they will see his goodness, that they can trust him just as this official did, that they may believe before they can know that they can even trust him today. So then what was this miracle proving? Because as we know, miracles are supposed to prove something. It proves that Jesus is God and that he's the giver of life. He is the giver of both physical and spiritual life, with the woman at the well, he proved that he, that he was the giver of eternal life. And today what we're learning is that he's also the author of physical life. And this is, what we, this is what we're to learn, is that death has no power over him or his words, but Jesus gets the final word. Jesus gets the final word. So today, what impossible situation is before you that you need God to do a miracle in? I remember back to a time when, um, man, I really needed God to show up. I mean, as if that isn't every single day for me. I don't know about you, but I remember back to a time. It was the summer of 2011, and I was, um, I was in Roanoke, Virginia. I was, um, I was helping out with a, a missions camp where we were... We were going into the impoverished areas, and we were helping. Um, we were helping fix homes that for people who couldn't afford it, and they were they were getting fined by the community because of the things were how like dilapidated their home was, and so we were in there to to help be a solution to that. And I remember one day it was right at the end of a long week. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, I just became so ill. Um. I just remember not being able to keep any fluids in me, getting this crazy fever and just being fatigued. And so for the next three or four days, um, I felt just like this. I wasn't able to like get up or anything. I was sleeping most of the day. And unfortunately, over the next 12 months, I would have several more episodes just like this. I mean, I could tell you the time where me and my wife, she was at her, her senior prom and we actually had to leave early because I was just gravely ill, just turned white, essentially. So I end up going to the doctors. They did several tests, and 
eventually ended up at a specialist that diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. And so if you aren't familiar with Crohn's disease, um, it's an autoimmune disease. Uh, so it's a disease that attacks your body and it ma- mainly hits you hard in your intestines. But, um, but it, and it causes a lot of inflammation as well. And at this point in time, there really is still no cure for it. All they can do is give you medication that's going to help ease some of the symptoms. So they're sitting me down. They're walking me through all the things that I can expect to happen in my life. Um, I'm going to have a higher risk for developing cancer. I will likely have a portion of my intestines removed in the future. And additionally, it's going to shorten the length of my life. Um, After this diagnosis, uh, they put me on some medication that began to help for just a little while. But then one day, I had the worst episode yet. I began to get unbearably sick. And I remember just being so nauseated from the pain. I don't know if you've ever been at this place before, but it it felt like someone was taking my insides and wringing them out like a wet towel. And then, and then at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm running this 105 degree fever. We can't get it to come down. Um, all I really can do is just kind of sit in the bed and shake. And so my mom kind of helps get me up and um, gets me to the car. And we go to the ER where I'll spend another seven days. And it was during this time that many people in this church prayed for me. But additionally, I had so many friends from school who, who came into my, um, into my hospital room and just laid their hands on me and just prayed and asked for God's blessings over me and that God would heal me. And I don't ever remember any type of presence or feeling the power of God come over me. But at the end of that stay, I left the hospital room knowing that God was still a God of healing. And so it was about three to six months later, I had a follow-up with another specialist. And they ran the whole gamut of tests again. And, and then I got a phone call and a letter just a few weeks later. And they, they're combing through everything. They said, um, we don't know what's happened, but... We see no sign of any disease at all. There's nothing there. So by the grace of God, I was healed. And that, that last episode was almost 10 years ago. So I don't know. I, I, I just felt like as I was praying, as, as I was preparing this week, that God wants to do a healing work in our church. And so I want to encourage you that God is still in the work of doing miracles. Maybe you haven't experienced it, or maybe you came up with a belief that God doesn't do this. But can I tell you that he does? That I have seen the works of his hands. I have seen people get prayed for and had torn MCLs and all of a sudden are running around the parking lot. I've seen God heal people who had their spines fused together, be able to touch their toes for the first time in 18 years. I'm telling you that our God is not bound by natural limitations, that he is a God of the supernatural, and that he's still in the work of doing healing today. Do you believe that today, church? And I do want to clarify that God doesn't do just miracles in our bodies so that it's, it's not for us to have immortality on this side of heaven. We all will have to go through that experience called death unless Jesus returns before then. But he does these healings. He does these things so that we have an opportunity to praise him 
and that we can tell others of his glory, that our God is not some far off God, that he is near, that he loves us, and that he can be trusted today. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up because what I want us to do, and I, this was another thing that I felt like God was impressing was, you know, there's people who are watching on live stream today, and we haven't forgotten about you, but there was, there's people, this son needed a miracle in his body, and he wasn't physically present there with Jesus, but yet he had a father who was contending for him. And that I want to urge you, maybe you need a physical healing in your body today. Maybe you need God to show up for something. But even if you don't, will you have enough faith to contest for someone else's healing? Will you have enough faith to believe that God wants to heal someone that's maybe on the other side of this camera today? Maybe they're sitting in their house today saying, I need God to show up. But that God is not bound by distance like we said, he has no natural limitations, that he can bring healing right into your living room today, right into your bedroom, wherever you're at in this room today, God can bring healing to us. And so what I would like us to do is the worship team's going to worship one more time, is that if you need healing in your body, if, if you need prayer today, and you don't mind someone putting a hand on you, then come to the front. And if you, even if you aren't needing a healing when we worship, will you just put your hands up in it as, as, just as a sign of faith to just contend for somebody else? Because I believe that we're going to hear testimonies and good reports of what God is doing because God is not finished with us yet, church. Come on. So let's stand to our feet this morning and let's worship God together.